Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I don't know if you are familiar with the story of Jonah. He was a prophet, the son of Amittai, and he was from Galilee, the area where Jesus lived. You know Nazareth and Galilee, that area? That's where he was from. And he was an amazing character. Him and Peter in the New Testament are very similar because they are outspoken and they are hard-headed and they just are quite rude, actually. And Peter was like that. He would just blunder in and then think about it later. And Jonah is just so amazing. When you read the book of Jonah, you get a sense of what this man was like. And it tells me it's a true story. Because if somebody was making up the Bible and they wanted to tell a story about a prophet called Jonah, they would not make him as rude as he was to God. It's so real and human the way that he responds. And Jesus referred to Jonah several times, said Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days. Jesus, the son of God who rose again to prove he was the son of God, said Jonah was true. It's not a fairy story. Jesus believed it, so I believe it. You say, can a person really be swallowed by a fish and live for three days? There have been documented cases. I don't know how it happens, but you know what? If God is God and he can make the universe like that, he can make a fish that can swallow someone. Can't he? Can do whatever he wants. And the story of Jonah actually starts in a different book. There is a book called the book of Jonah, which is four chapters long. But in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14 and verse 25, it says it's talking about a king, King Jeroboam who was an evil king, but in verse 25 it says, He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So Jonah had a career as a prophet of God. He would tell people God's words before the book of Jonah starts, and in this verse that I've just read, he went to the king about 10 years before the book of Jonah starts, and he says, the Assyrians have invaded all these territories that are supposed to be part of Israel, but God says, go and attack them and you'll get it back. And the king obeyed, and they knocked the Assyrians on the face and out of the place, and they won the territory back, and God was gracious. Because the king was an evil king and, and the nation was not following God and yet God was gracious because Jonah spoke. So Jonah had a history of prophesying. He was one of God's men, one of God's staff if you like. He worked for God. He was a prophet. And then we see the book of Jonah. I wonder if you're familiar with this book. You might be or you might not. It starts, I'm just going to read a few little verses from it, not, not every verse. It says in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was the greatest city in the world at that time. The biggest and the most prosperous and the most opulent and it was the capital of the enemies of Israel. 
Assyria were the ones who were fighting Israel, who 10 years earlier, Jonah had said, let's go and kick them out of our land. God now says to him, now go to them and talk to them about me. And in verse 3 it says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Nineveh is east, and Jonah immediately gets up and he goes west. He just disobeys. He just says, no. No, Lord. You've heard me say this before, but that little phrase, no, Lord, is an oxymoron. Because if I say no, he's not my Lord. Is that not true? And Jonah said, no, Lord. And he got up and he went and he got on a boat to go the other direction. I wonder if you've ever done that. The reason I love this book is because it applies to us. We belong to God. We've seen God use us in the past. Many of us have worked for God and done things for him. And yet he says something and often we go the other direction. And you're going to see how God deals with Jonah. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He just said, I'm going away. I'm going the other direction. God says, do this. I'm doing that. You know, if somebody doesn't belong to God, have you ever seen a person who's not a believer and they disobey God? They do everything wrong. They cheat, they steal, they, they're a horrible person, and yet they prosper. Have you seen that? And then you see a person who does belong to God, and they do the slightest thing in disobedience, and all heaven, hell, whatever, breaks loose, and life is hard for them. Have you seen that happen? I've seen it a lot. And we're going to see the reason for this, is once you put yourself in God's hands, He says, I care so much about you, that I will not let you damage yourself. When someone's not in God's hand, he says, until you put yourself in my hand, I won't control your life. But when you do, I care so much. And so Jonah gets on the ship and he goes and it says the Lord sent a storm. Oh, doesn't the storm mean the devil? No, in this case, it was God who sent the storm. And it got worse and worse and worse. And Jonah's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. I think it was the sleep of depression and denial. I don't want to, I don't want to know what's going on in my life. Have you ever been there? I just want to escape. I don't want anyone to know who I am or where I am. I'm just sleeping in the, in the bottom of the ship. And the captain comes and wakes him up. Says, what's wrong with you? We're going to die. And Jonah reluctantly admits, I serve God. And that's why there's a storm. Because I'm disobeying God. And the captain says, what shall we do? And funnily enough, the non-believing sailors on the ship are more righteous than Jonah. They want to obey God. And they are nervous to hurt one of his servants. But Jonah says, you're going to have to throw me overboard. There's no other way. But his heart, he, he's doing kind of the right thing. But his heart is still not fully with God. And they throw him overboard. Immediately, the storm stops. And it says all the sailors started worshipping God. So there was a spin-off effect that people started worshipping God. Even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. But then it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he prays the most beautiful prayer in chapter 2. 
It's a prayer that quotes scripture. Most of the words of Jonah's prayer are direct quotes from the Psalms or from other parts of the Bible. Jonah's proving that he knows God because he knows how to pray. And he prays while he's still in the belly of the fish. He says, Lord, you've heard me and you've answered my prayer. He's, he's following the advice and the, the principle of prayer that when you pray, believe that you have received it and you will have it. Mark 11, 24 and 25. He, he's praying, thank you, God, for answering my prayer while he's still in the fish. He's quoting scripture. He's repenting. He's worshiping God. And God answers him. And the, the fish vomits him up on dry land. Somebody has said it's no wonder that the Ninevites listened to Jonah's preaching because he must have stunk and looked terrible after being three days in the stomach juices of a fish. But he gets vomited up onto dry land and God speaks to him again in chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. <clears throat> and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and publicized throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, telling everyone to repent. Again, the non-believers respond to God better than Jonah does. And we're going to see in chapter 4 that even though Jonah was preaching what God told him to preach, his heart was not in it. Even though he'd prayed a prayer to get out of the belly of the fish, it was a spare tire prayer. Do you know what I mean by a spare tire prayer? A spare tire is something you keep in the back of your car for an emergency. And when you get a flat tire, you pull out the spare tire and you're so glad you've got it and you put it on. But the rest of the time you forget it even exists. You don't even want to know about it. It's a dirty little horrible thing that you hide away. For many of us, we only cry out to God when life goes rubbish. And that's what happened to Jonah. It was when everything went bad that he cried out to God. But we're going to see in chapter 4 that his heart was not moved. And he even was preaching and his heart was not in it. And God is so gracious that in the midst of one of his servants' disobedience, God will cause others to be saved, which is extraordinary. But then when you think about it, it's not that extraordinary because if God was waiting for a perfect servant to use, he would never use any of us. That would have been a good time to say amen. <laughs> so, God uses a disobedient servant, and the people repent, the people of Nineveh, and they turn to the Lord, even though Jonah's heart is not in it. And then in chapter 4, it said, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What displeased him? It displeased him that the Assyrians had repented. <laughs> it displeased him that they had turned to God. 
which shows that his heart was not the same as God's heart. God wanted to forgive and to restore and to love and, and heal the Ninevites. And Jonah wanted them destroyed. So, it says in verse 2, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I would rather die, Jonah says, than see these Ninevites get saved. His heart was not with God. He was a servant on the outside going through the motions, but his heart was not with God. The Lord said, this is where God's patience and mercy is so amazing. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? God could have just squashed Jonah like a bug. God could have said, Jonah, I've been patient with you all these times. Enough is enough. Stop this. But God starts dialoguing with Jonah. He says, is it right? And you know, when God asks us a question, it's not because he wants to know information. It's because he wants us to look inside ourselves and start thinking about what he's saying. And God said to Jonah, is it right? And he says to you and me, whenever we feel anger, depression, rebellion, whatever, is it right what you're feeling? Because we think if I feel it, it's right. My mind's made up by the way that I feel, says that song by wet, wet, wet. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. And God says, is it right what you feel? And suddenly we think, oh, I can question my feelings. But Jonah doesn't. Listen to what he says. Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what become, would become of the city. He was still believing in faith for destruction for the sinners. He wanted them smote by the Lord. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He's like a little child. He's angry one minute, then he's grinning the next minute. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. You know what amazes me about the Lord? He creates us from dust. I mean, he didn't have to make us, but he made us. He creates us, we're little nothings, really, compared to him. But then he gives us the right to think for ourselves, to speak back to him, and he doesn't force Jonah or anyone else to do what he wants them to do. He dialogues with us and he allows Jonah to say, I'm so angry with you, God, that it's, I want to die. And God is so patient that he uses an object lesson to try to 
showed Jonah the error of his ways and the error of his thoughts. The Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. God says, you loved that little plant. You're so silly that you loved a plant and you got so cross and sad and kind of so you know, overwrought with emotion when this injustice of this plant died. God says, should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. And the amazing thing is the book of Jonah ends there. What happened next? What happened next? Did Jonah repent? Did Jonah see from God's perspective and say, oh Lord, I see that people are more important than a little plant. I see that they, so many of them, deserve mercy because I've received mercy. I don't know what Jonah did. Maybe he remained hard-hearted and he just defied God and we don't know what happened to him next. But it doesn't matter what happened to him next because what about you and me? What are we going to do with this? And I want to just make three points now that I believe will help us. Number one, God cares about people's eternal destiny. God cares. God cares deeply. We read a couple of weeks ago, 1 Timothy chapter 2, which says God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires it. There's this wish of, on God's part to save people. And if you and I are going to be servants of His who have His heart, not just obey on the outside, but actually have the same heart as God, we will care about the eternal destination and well-being of people around us. God cares about people's eternal home. He cares desperately. He cares so much that he left heaven, he became a baby, he grew up and he died on a cross to rescue us. God cares. He is desperately involved and concerned that you and I and all the people around us find salvation and go to heaven. God cares. And do we care? The, the first lesson or the first challenge for us from Jonah, do we care or are we like Jonah? He didn't care. <laughs> I don't know what Jonah really cared about. I think maybe it was comfort. He loved the little plant because it made him comfortable. He loved to sleep in his ship. Um, he wanted to go to Tarshish, wherever that was, Spain or somewhere. I don't know what Jonah liked, but I think he cared about comfort and he cared about Israel is right and the Assyrians are bad. That, that was kind of in his mindset. But God was trying to change his mind and say, care about what I care about. Care about people's eternal destiny. And you know, if I really do care about that, it'll affect the way that I live. It'll affect the way that I go out of my way to talk to people who I don't know. It'll affect the way that I help needy people. It'll affect everything, the way that I spend my money, it'll affect my life if I care about the eternal destiny of people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God cares about our physical communities and lives. 
of our real everyday lives. At the very beginning of the book of Jonah, God says, go to that great city. God is looking, even though he sees all those people, 120,000 people who are going to hell and he cares about their destiny, he's also looking at the city, the bricks and the mortar. And, and at the end, he says there's 120,000 people and livestock. God is caring about our communities, the way that we live, the healthcare, the, the poor, the needy, the housing situation, the clothing, all the different things of our lives, the environment of our planet. God cares about those as well, desperately. He wanted that great city to be saved eternally, but also to be helped and the livestock to be treated well. The last word of the book of Jonah is the word livestock. God cares about practical everyday things. But here's the interesting point. When we get the gospel, you see, God didn't tell Jonah to go and set up business helping systems and social justice and legal things and livestock protection organization. God said, go and tell them about salvation because then the livestock and the whole city will be helped. God cares about all of the practical needs of people, but when we get the first things right, those other things are helped as well. I've told this story before, but I lived in a city of several hundred thousand people in Africa, and there was extreme poverty in our city, and we were going through social and economic turmoil so that the poverty was made worse. There was hyperinflation, there was lack of goods, it was a terrible situation. The electricity and water supply was not working, uh, there was no fuel coming into the country, it was a disaster. From a, a practical point of view, that city needed help. And aid agencies were, were sending money, and I was part of the structure that allowed those aid agencies to bring money in and I was helping them to send money so Norway, USA, Germany, England, various countries were sending aid and they were helping people and it was wonderful, they were helping people but we started a church and we decided we were going to preach the gospel to the poor. You know in Luke chapter 4 verse 18 Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to preach good news to the poor. Why the poor? Because the good news of salvation helps the poor to get out of poverty. And you might say to me, Greg, that's rubbish, that's not true. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have seen people who had no money, who had no education and no future, when they got the gospel, when they understood God loves me, I have dignity and I'm important in God's sight, they bettered themselves, they changed their stinking thinking and they started to live better and God's prosperity started to come into their lives. They weren't super wealthy at the end, but they were better because salvation leads to good news for the poor. And that's why we, as a church, want to help people plant churches around the world. We do give money to aid organizations and charities, but I firmly believe that if we can get a church planted in a poor community, it will be more beneficial than if we poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into that community. Because when you change a person's spirit and their mind, it changes their physical life. 
So my first point was God cares about people. The second point was God cares about the communities and the gospel helps those communities. My third point is that God cares about the others. The others. These Assyrians, these Ninevites, were the enemies of Jonah. They were of a different race. They were the, the military enemies who were trying to oppress Israel. They were of a faraway country, and God wanted Jonah to care about people who were different to him and who were his enemies. And God wants us to care about people who are different to us. Amen? You know, in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? Jesus was divine. He was different to humanity. He was in heaven in comfort, in fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was in, in a blessed and wonderful place. And God said, go to them. They're different. They're enemies. They're sinners. They hate us. They don't deserve help, but go to them. And Jesus stripped himself, the Bible says, of all his power and divinity and became a human and lived as a man, God as a man, to rescue us. And he says, as God sent me, I'm sending you. Go to the others. Go to those who are your enemies, who you wouldn't normally be with. Different races, different places, faraway countries. Go to them. And right from the start of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the message is the same. Go, 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 go. Never stay. You need a word from the Lord to stay, not to go. Because God's word says go so much that we must be going to the others, different people, different types of communities. And then my last point is God cares about you. So God cares about people's eternal destiny. God cares about communities. God cares about the others. And God cares about you. If you are like Jonah, I want to tell you, God is not letting go of you. You may be running the other way. You may have all mixed up emotions and motives in your heart. And you might say, God, I don't want to preach. I don't want to give. I don't want to serve. I just want to be saved one day in heaven. I just care about my comfort. God will not let you go. He'll take you all the way through, even if it means sending a storm into your life. You say, I don't want a storm. If a storm helps you get saved and get close to God, you, know, you want a storm. He'll send a fish. He'll send whatever it takes to get you to where he wants you to be. And his aim is for you to have the same heart that he has. And you may be a Christian who you've given your life to the Lord, but you're trying to live half-hearted for God and still in the world, and you're wondering why you're miserable. The answer is because God is not finished with you yet. He's trying to bring you to him. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.